Welcome to Six Degrees Within YGK, a podcast where we get everyone within the YGK area where we talk about health, fitness, and overall balance of life. I'm your host, Bob Payne, owner of CrossFit Limestone and Limestone Athletics. Welcome to another podcast of Six Degrees within YGK. Today we have Rob Begg, CFL star for 11 years, Grey Cup in 2013, um, CSI All-Star. You're going to be inducted to the Queen's Golden Gales Hall of Fame. That was just announced um, Actually, last. It, uh, it did occur, so about a month ago, yeah. Okay, it did occur. Okay, I wasn't sure if it, it's already happened or I just know they made the announcement. So welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks for having me, man. So first, what I want to do is jump into how you began all this, but one little short backstory. You and I, we've known each other since kindergarten, grade one. 100%. Yeah, we uh, shared your mom was one of my favorite teachers. I want to say grade one. Uh, probably should have spent a little bit more time reading, less time with the Lego, but it was a heck of a year. Yeah, no, the Lego was awesome. And so I just remember um, back in those days, you and I playing the mini sticks in the basements. We're learning how to play hockey. And I like to say that this is my path to fame here is that I help teach you on how to become an athlete. So I'll take all ownership for that, all credit. So you don't have to thank me too much today, but. No. Hey man, grassroots, well-born wildcats. That's where it all began. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So no, let's jump into this because I think you got a fantastic story on how you basically growing up playing athletics. And we'll jump into like, like. Um, specializing in sports after and stuff like that. But let's just tell your root story here. Sure. Um, well, I was uh, born and raised in Kingston, obviously. Um, as I mentioned, went to Wellborn there. And I think uh, kind of right out the gate, um, at least according to my parents, like sports and, and just kind of being uh, corralled was always uh, kind of high on their list. as definitely a high-energy kid. Um, you know, my my parents and um, family of four kids, two sisters and a brother, and then I had four cousins living two doors over on uh, Brandy Court um, over in Waterloo Village. So, you know, kind of our days, whether it was the winter or the summer, to be honest, if it was the winter, we were out playing uh, in one of the rinks that either my dad or my uncle had built. And if it was the summertime, we were playing in the parks, riding our bikes around and playing a lot of road hockey. So, um, you know, never really uh, was one to sit still. And fortunately, I grew up in an era before iPads and stuff like that. So there was really nothing to kind of capture my energy and my attention um, quite like athletics. No, that's amazing. So um, you were playing hockey. Well, you didn't start playing football. So you started playing hockey. And how long, like, how long did you play hockey for? And when did you hang up the skates? Um, I don't know when I began. I know my dad... Uh, probably lied on the birth certificate so I could get into house league hockey a little early. I want to say it was probably about four or five years old when I was playing um, and just fell in love with it right away. I remember playing with a few older kids, um, some that are still great friends today. But, uh, you know, I, I think back at those times, our coach, I think it was Wayne Labarge, a little shout out to him. But, you know, they made a Stanley Cup. I think it still gets passed around at the house league tournaments. And, and it just felt like a big deal. And it was one of those things where the harder you work, the better you performed. And, and just kind of fell in love with the game. So played AAA hockey here in Kingston from, you know, I could be off a year or two here, but I want to say from roughly a couple years with the Titans playing A hockey and then AAA hockey from maybe uh, eight years old till 16 years old. Um, it went through the uh, OHL draft and was over, uh, I want to say overlooked, but didn't get drafted going into that year, which was a big disappointment because I certainly had my, um, it became an expectation certainly of my own. Um, ended up signing a uh, free agent camp, uh, free agent contract with the Belleville Bulls to go down there and try out. Um, and for whatever reason, I went down to the Brockville Braves, did a training camp down there, and then started to talk to some of the guys at my high school. Um, you know, all the all the guys that are now really great friends, but you know, specifically Adam Archibald and. I'd watch our high school program, Bob, as you remember. But they were a great football program. They didn't lose very often. And it seemed like they, uh, you know, they were pretty popular kids in school too. So I think though, what's the one stat Adam Archibald has? Like in four years of him at QB, they lost one game. No, I don't think they lost any. Yeah, I mean in grade eleven. So grade eleven was the year that I 
began playing and uh, didn't report to Belleville Bulls training camp. And that was really the last organized hockey game I really ever played. Um, lessons to be learned about determination and not quitting preemptively there, but didn't really learn them until a few years after I had hung up my skates. Um, so to cut right to the chase, yeah, I started playing football in grade 11. Um, at the time, we had a great football team, as mentioned, so just trying to get on the field wasn't automatic. Um, started out playing a little bit of special teams, returning a couple kicks. I was probably 160 pounds soaking wet, and they put me at tight end. So, you know, you learn the ugly side of the game first, how to block and how to take a beating, particularly against some of those bigger DNs. Um, and then by grade 12, kind of had a bigger role on the team, and the team was still doing great. So um, I just benefited from uh, an excellent supporting cast and a great quarterback, and that gave me a little bit of attention with some of the university scouts. And uh, kind of in a roundabout way, uh, thought I was headed out to St. FX, um, was really excited about getting out of the city. And then I remember talking about St. FX to you. Yeah, we were definitely talking about that. Because you were telling me to go down there. Yeah. So it was great. And then um, great call on my behalf in hindsight. But my now wife, who I met in high school, Kelly, um, she decided she was going to Queens. And I said, well, I guess I'll follow suit too. So <laughs> smart choice. That, that was how I ended up there. And, uh, you know, as it does in life, it seems to have worked out so far. So glad with those decisions. And, and after a couple of years, um, really after my first year at Queens, I knew that, uh, you know, while I could get by in academics, athletics was certainly a way that I wanted to make a paycheck. And I just kind of put all my eggs in that basket and worked as hard as I could. And, and it ended up turning into a, uh, 11 year pro career. No, that's awesome. Now I want go back a couple of years there because even before he got into football because football is a sprinting sport right and I will say Kingston's not known for football and like you're coming off the rink and with Kingston has no like star you you weren't a track star in the 100 meter or anything like that it wasn't like you already had the speed down in fact you were actually a long distance runner right and middle distance so I went to I ran track in grade nine and ten I kind of did the one two four in elementary school but then once I got to high school um, I didn't really have the strength or the turnover to to compete in the 100 meters so I ended up going 248 and and then in grade 10 I went 4815 um, and quite honestly I think I was just good at those because I had good overall speed not sprinter speed but I had good overall speed and I think probably my greatest skill set quite honestly is just being able to endure the suck or endure kind of discomfort if you will so if you've ever run a 100 meter or sorry a 400 meter or 800 meter before you know it's all about the lactic buildup and just how long can you push the throttle before your body kind of says you know it's going to shut down on you so um, I was good at those sports that required effort and and an ability to grind out um, over you know a minute or two minutes so I think it set me up pretty well for football too and to your point a lot of guys think of football in the 40 yard dash but as I always thought uh, benefited me there are 60 plays in an offensive football game, typically, and I prided myself on getting my 40 low. By the time I was done playing and went to the combine, I was around a 4-5, um, but what I really prided myself on is I could run that 4-5 about 50 times in a row, and whether it was a run play or a pass play, and I certainly took advantage of this at the pro level, but as soon as I found out the guy had better um, speed than me, I wanted to find out could he do it 50 times in a row, so every run play, even though it sucked, I'd run his ass off for 60 yards and see if he uh, started to quit or take a play off. And that was usually where I had my big pass plays. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. This, because, yeah, football is, uh, everyone thinks it's like, it's only eight seconds. The plays are only eight seconds, but there's a big condition component, especially with you being a wide receiver. And in the CFL, too. It's not like the NFL where you're getting by the time gets time the ball gets respotted you've got 40 seconds from the time the uh the officials put the ball back right so in the cfl they're very very efficient at getting the ball on the line um i learned how to master kind of a shuffle playback because they don't blow the play in until all the players are basically within 10 feet of the huddle so i learned how to create some rest there um but then you got 20 seconds so it's not a whole bunch of time to recover before you have to go and do something explosive and as you said kind of at max effort all over again so uh, and, and and on top of that usually in high heat environments so um, yeah it's all about training conditioning um, maxing your explosiveness but also not being kind of a one-shot wonder it's all about uh, well I, in fact I remember my first training camp out there First thing the coach says out is out there where out, the, out in Saskatchewan. Sorry, um, first thing the receiver coach says is you know 
great day one, do not be a splash in the pan. We're looking for consistency. We're not looking for a guy that can make a play here or there. We need you to do it time and time again, and that's how you earn a job here. So um, I think that's really the same in, in any professional business. Um, but it's not about just showing up one day. It's about showing up every day and being somebody that uh, others can rely on. Yeah, and you're always known for your hard work ethic. Like watch any interview of you online or anyone talking about you, everyone always talks about your work ethic. And one thing I think you said was find the strongest guy or the fittest guy in the weight room, chase him down. Yeah, exactly. I definitely didn't bring up that uh, or invent that quote or philosophy. It was actually um, my grandpa, Bob Pearson, uh, my mom's dad, he's you know, he was a big reason why I tried football. He grew up playing football down in Toronto um, and uh, always wanted me to play. And it always kind of frustrated him when my hockey coaches would tell me that I would then pass along. And particularly, I'm talking about grade 9 and 10. But, no, football needs all your – or hockey, excuse me, needs all your time. You can't play football. So, as soon as the window opened, um, Grandpa, you know, encouraged me to go out there and try. And, yeah, he said, uh, you know, find the high, hardest working guy out there and outwork him. It's a very simple thing and sometimes not the easiest thing to do, but I am definitely that guy you don't want to train with because if you do 10 reps, I'm going to do 11. And if you do 11, I'm going to do 12. It's just, it's just a mindset that, um, again, it's like anything too. Once you, once you instill that mindset and once you have success, it's, you're going to do it time and time and time again, right? So having a bit of success with that philosophy has just instilled it in me now and, and I've taken it right into real estate and it's benefited me there as well. That's amazing. So let's just jump into when you got um, when you started playing professional football. Because one thing that you were never were drafted, right? You got invited out to the camp, like you just mentioned, and then you essentially turned them down. One did a fifth year at school um, to finish up your degree. Uh, so what was the whole thought process in that? You've probably been asked this once or twice before, but. Yeah, I've done, I've done, I've, I'm sort of a master on answering this one now. And I feel like over time, I'm probably getting a little bit closer to the truth. Um, so yeah, I didn't get drafted. Uh, I saw some of the, well, I saw the 11 guys ahead of me get drafted, all receivers, some of which were in the OUA, um, some of which were obviously elsewhere in Canada. But uh, I just couldn't believe these guys that they were picking in front of me. Um, I outproduced them while I was at Queen. Some of them were teammates, to be honest with you. So I was incredibly disappointed, and when um, Saskatchewan called the morning after the draft to sign me, um, I was excited, and I knew I was going to camp, but uh, after talks with Pat Sheehan, um, he basically told me, prepare, who, was. who was the Queens coach at the time, he told me to you know go out there, learn from the experience, and then come back to Queens for your fifth year. Um, so I ended up going out there, and I think, uh, right or wrong, I had a mentality that I was there for camp. And uh, so I think that did benefit me in terms of my performance because I really didn't feel like there was much pressure. I felt like they'd already overlooked me and I was basically going to be a camp body and, uh, and I was going to go back and prove myself in my last year at Queen's. So um, I ended up making the team. I had a, I had a really good camp, um, had a couple good exhibition games, and they called me into the office. It was Eric Tillman was our GM at the time and Kent Austin was the head coach. And they called me in. Actually, they called the whole team in to after they did cut down day, and and I had been kind of poking at the scout Joe Womack at the time, being like, "Hey, before you cut guys, like I, I need to talk to you." And he's like, "Oh no, no, Robbie, you're good, you're good." And he kind of walked by my dorm room. So after the first team meeting ends, I go down to my positional coach. I explain I need to talk to them, and I go in there. I talk to Mr. Tillman, and I, I mean, I can still picture their face today. They're just as they've said in interviews. I'm the only guy to to make a pro roster and then tell them they're going back to a university, a Canadian university at that, to finish their career. Um, and it was definitely a decision made out of pride. I think probably more than intelligence. Um, I don't think my de- development as a player benefited from coming back to Queens. I should have certainly stayed out there. Hindsight's easy to say. They also won the Grey Cup that year as well in 2007. So, sure, yeah. so for a while there, that kind of haunted me because. We lost in 2009 and 2010, and and you start to wonder, shit, was uh, 2007 kind of my only crack to maybe grab a ring here? And fortunately, it wasn't as we got one in 2013. But, uh, yeah, it was it was another learning curve for me at the time. You know, I was probably 21 years old, and I thought I was better or more important than I was. And, and I could have really cost myself an opportunity to play bro ball there by going back. Fortunately, things worked out, and uh, they offered me a more lucrative contract the next year, and that's how I went back uh, the following year. It's like that saying, everything works out for a reason, right? Yeah, generally speaking, although I don't advise anybody to kind of pass up an opportunity like that, um, it did work out for me that time. So, you know, trust your gut, I guess. 
No, that's awesome. And then let's jump into a couple years of playing there because, um, like, you were known as the comeback guy just through a couple injuries. Do um, you want to just briefly explain them and then we'll go into that? Yeah, so um, outside of a couple concussions, I was pretty fortunate at Queens. I really didn't experience too, too many injuries. Played most of my games there. Um, and then when I got to SAS, the first two years kind of went off without a hitch. Uh, first year kind of broke in, um, started in week nine and, and put together a good little run there as we went into the playoffs. And then 2010, I kind of solidified myself as a starter. Um, was on pace for uh, just shy of a thousand yards in my second year. And then in week 14, uh, was running a, um, a slant route and it was a non-contact ACL injury. So popped my left knee in 2009 yeah no sorry in 2009 I played the whole year Uh, I'm screwing things up 2009 I played the whole year had a really quality year Um, we went to the Grey Cup I actually the very last play of the offensive uh, drive that we were on we're trying to munch the clock and I got hit in the collarbone shattered my collarbone Um, they put a steel plate in there it was best injury I ever had didn't miss it down Um, was back for training camp the next year 2010 started off great um again in week 14 as i had mentioned there then i tore my knee on a non-contact slant route um and that shut me down for that year so rehabbed really hard all winter learned some lessons again in terms of time did you rehab in kingston i did rehab that one in kingston um and had a great great support staff everything was around me was going great um you know i think and this is a great lesson i think Social media was kind of just picking up at that time. It was easier to get information about other people that are dealing with injuries, but you didn't really understand kind of the treatment or the protocol or just the environment that they were in. I remember recalling um, Adrian Peterson had just torn his ACL in the NFL and he came back in six months. So I decided in my mind, six months was the date that I was going to be back on the field and everything was going great for five. Um, And then about two weeks before training camp, um, was just doing a warm-up drill and I felt my knee shift and retore the same knee so ended up costing myself the entire season in 2011 uh, because of basically just rushing it Um, so I rehabbed that again and felt great again no brace was going into camp kind of got my feet back under me had 155 yards and two touchdowns in week three and then um, your confidence is back up you feel like you're rolling and then I ran a 18 uh, yard dig route against Montreal, broke to the right, and my left knee um, instantly. I just feel it, felt it blow right out too. So, so by the time 2011 was over, um, I then had basically had three ACL surgeries, um, missed the majority of the 2012 season, um, and then came back in 2013 um, with two uh, reconstructed knees. And it was a battle to get my confidence back. Um, I'd say in that season. Um, and then by 2014, I felt healthy again and then kind of rolled out another, uh, I guess, five seasons of, of healthy play where I pretty much played every game. But um, definitely a pretty big hiccup there. And, and as you mentioned, not a lot of guys come back from one ACL, let alone three. So I think it was a combination of, of, of hard work, but also just good fortune with an organization that, that watched me work and trusted that I would be ready. And if they kind of pulled back on the reins enough that uh, they could keep me healthy for a while. And that's uh, fortunately what happened. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy to have that many injuries, keep bouncing back. And the year that you did play the full season, you guys won the cup. Yeah, so in 20, uh, I I missed two games in 2013. Uh, The knee that I had torn twice in week five shifted on me, so I tore the meniscus in there. Um, Is that pretty scary? uh, It was by far the most painful of the knee injuries. All the ACLs didn't really hurt because they were just ACLs, but the meniscus definitely hurt. Um, I went home. I thought it was ACL. We did the MRI uh, the next morning. Uh, they told me that the ACL was still intact and that I just had a meniscal tear. And depending on how much pain I could tolerate, that in a few weeks I could play. So being an idiot, once again, I, did, I went to the stadium and ran stadium stairs for about three hours. Um, just to sweat it out. Eh? Just to sweat it out. And, uh, yeah, they made me sit the next week. And then I came back the week after that. And, uh there was definitely some hiccups. Um, I'd go the whole game feeling great. And then just odd plays, your knee would just totally lock up and kind of sounded, it sounds gross, but kind of figured out how to kind of kick my leg to get it to open again and, and grind it out the rest of the season. So, uh, finished out 2013. It all worked out in my favor. We won the gray cup, got my knee cleaned out once more in, uh, going into the off season in 2014 and, and knock on wood. It's been amazing ever since. No, that's awesome. Um, and then 
let's jump back a little bit, going back into growing up and stuff and kind of use some of that. So looking back, is there anything you would have done maybe not like totally changed it, but like done differently growing up playing sports? Like, oh man, I wish I knew this one thing when I was starting playing sports. It could have gave me an edge. Like not, not regrets. Cause I know you, you think like you, you learn through your experiences. That's how you build your character. But was there any pieces that you just wish you knew earlier in the season or your playing career? I had always been a guy, as you mentioned, or at least that I like to think I always was a guy that worked hard. Um, but I also, I think, partly because you grow up in Kingston, you know, it's not the hugest city. I was always probably, um, not to sound cocky, but I was probably always one of the better two or three guys on the team. And you start I, to. Cre- I remember growing up, you're always the best athlete. Yeah, you start to develop an expectation that you're going to be the best. And and one thing that I certainly have learned in life, um, and uh, you know, I don't, I think it would have only benefited me had I learned it earlier, is is sometimes um, chasing other guys that are better you, better than you actually improves your own performance rather than kind of getting comfortable. And, um, you know, I think specifically about my hockey journey, I loved hockey. And, and uh, to give it up so quickly after doing it for so long, I think was pretty foolish. Um, but I think, I think it was just a bit of that, um, maybe a bit of burnout, but also just, you know, I didn't take enough ownership of where I was in terms of a hockey player at that time. Instead of instead of spending maybe less time with friends and, and enjoying the summers, I could have spent more time training. There was things and areas of my game that I could have invested in more myself. And just because I was one of the better players the year before, I feel like perhaps in hindsight um, you left some development untapped, right? So the best thing that can happen, certainly the best thing that happened to me, and I think um, if you look at guys like Michael Jordan or some of these other guys that went through periods of defeat and disappointment. Well, there's so many stories of them being cut from the teams, right? A hundred percent. Like it's, it's in the moment, it seems like a, a big setback, but in the long term, it's probably the best thing that can happen for you. So, um, you know, maybe I didn't have quite as much adversity as, um, you know, you hate to say I would have, I wish things were worse. Um, that's not really what I'm saying, but just, just in terms of growth, um, both as a person and as an athlete, um, sometimes getting knocked down and figuring out that if you get back up and you can continue to push, there's ceilings there that you can smash through. And I didn't learn that really until I didn't get drafted into the CFL, to be honest, that, um, you know, sometimes getting knocked down is the best thing for you. Well, and you see that in some professional sports teams, like they learned, to win through losing, right? I shouldn't say some, like all teams, right? Let's just talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, the switching the hockey there. They've had some pretty tough seasons there a couple of years prior. Like they got knocked out the first round when they're supposed to be the winning team. Mm-hmm. Come back the next year, they win the cup, and then they just won again. And I think that's such a huge game changer for so many young kids, right? And you do notice it. Like when we get kids come in here and they're like the top athlete when they're like, 11, 12, 13 years old, and then they start playing in from a going to a bigger pool of say hockey or like a like some athletic pool, right? And so they start playing with other players from other towns and stuff. And then they realize they're not the best player, and they get pretty. Um, some of them get pretty like frustrated because they're not number one anymore. But I still think when you're constantly chasing somebody, that's going to drive you, right? A hundred percent, and I. It's funny, so I've got kids now, as you know, Bob. I've got uh, twins that are almost 10 years old and a 7-year-old boy, too. And just last weekend, I was talking to them, probably over their head at this time. But, you know, there's something to be said about just taking 100% ownership in your life. And, And what I mean by that is, regardless of the circumstances, and some of it is out of your control, but if you take look at it through a perspective of what could I have done differently to create a different outcome it totally eliminates the blame game uh, when you're only looking internally. So um, are there moments in life certainly where you're going to feel disappointed? Yes. Uh, is there is there more that you can do to improve and avoid those situations? Usually there is. So, um, you know, obviously the circumstances change, but I feel like the more that I just try and control what I can control and approach life on a daily basis through the lens that, at the end of the day, the only one to blame or to uh, enjoy the fame is myself. Um, the more that I can be productive and the more sex, success, excuse me, that generally follows. So, um, you know, there's a few things that I like to live by. One, one's from football. I call it, I say it's reps and touches, right? And more or less what I'm talking about is experience. It's, it's how many times can you repeat the same task before you're an expert at it? 
everyone varies on the number there. Um, but for me, there isn't one. It's, it's literally the job's done when the job's done and when you feel like you've perfect, perfected your craft. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's why I, I generally enjoy working with other athletes, even if it's in a, a more professional setting, such as real estate, just because they understand that, um, there is kind of no nine to five, regardless of the industry that you're in. Um, the work gets done and the work needs to be done when it's in front of you or on your plate. So, um, again, it's about taking ownership. And I think the sooner that people are mature enough to accept that responsibility, um, the more successful they'll be. It is true. And if you always focus on everything you can control, because you can, and like you say in a football game, you can't control like what the ref's calling. You can't control whatever plays that the other team's doing. You can only control how you react, right? And I remember when, the, when we first started working together, so before COVID, you and I sat down. We had a beer. We're going to talk about, hey, let's do some sprinting work. I want you to come help me coach some of the kids here and all that. And we were kind of talking about doing all that. Then obviously COVID hit. We're like, okay, we got to sit back and wait. It's not much. And like I was like, obviously my business is shut down. My wife, Tara's business is shut down. Things are pretty scary. We don't know what we're going to be doing. Um, we don't know anything that's happening at that time. There was like, we didn't know government support and all that. But I remember texting you. I was like, Rob, I think this is a great opportunity that we can start putting everything online. We start learning from that. And it's just one of those moments that you're like, no, let's do it 100%. Let's, we can't control what's happening, what, who's going to sign up. But if we just start putting stuff out there, people are going to jump on board. I remember doing that with you. And you actually helped me a lot through the, in the beginning with COVID because you were like, okay, let's come into the gym. Let's just grind it out. I remember one of the first days I was uh, texting you about this. I was like, okay, let's meet at the gym tomorrow. I have all day free. When do you want to meet? You're like, okay, I'll see you at the gym at 6 a.m. I remember like thinking, I was like, I don't think Rob saw that I have the whole day free, but <laughs> you're like, nope, well, I'll see you at 6 a.m. I was like, all right, let's meet at 6 a.m. We come in here. We started doing the videos and all that. And to me, it was just one of those great mindsets of like, okay, we can't control anything. Let's just keep doing, putting stuff out there. Let's just keep working. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you, you can only control how you react to the situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just kind of to build off that point, like I'm a big believer. Uh, I can't remember what book I read it in. It would have been a Navy SEALs training book for sure. But it kind of just laid out why why military members make their bed every day. And I could be way off. I wasn't in the military. But this is the way it was explained to me is essentially if you get out of bed when you, your alarm goes off, and the fir- first, that's a task that you've won. You set your alarm. You don't hit snooze. So you have one victory in the day right there. You got up when you said you were going to get up or the, the, whatever you decided on the day before. And then, two, you make your bed. So you're just checking off successfully completed tasks as you go. And it's just the momentum of the day, right? So... Um, just like you said, we were, tr- we were coming in here at 6 a.m. I still start uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I still train at 5 a.m. every day, um, not because I have aspirations to go back to the CFL, although, I, you know, um, I, I think I could give you a quarter, um, but more so just because it all starts with uh, the Rock says, you know, you got to pay the man. But you go in there and you're just you're just um, reinforcing your foundation of I'll do what I got to do to get stuff done. Right. So I start every day working out just because it's it just builds the momentum that goes into the early morning. It tees up your whole day to be successful. So, um, uh, you know, I I don't want to just keep naming off quotes, but I'm big on kind of um, self affirmations that develop good habits. So, uh, you know, whether, whether you got to pay the man, just, just get in there, get, start your day with the gym. Everything's better after you, you lift weights and clear your mind. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many things that are, that once you create the daily habits that all the other stuff becomes, um, less burdenful. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm losing my train of thought here, but, um, I just think the more that you can create a morning routine and the more that you can tee up your day for success, whatever follows, whatever, whether you work a nine to five or whether you're in something else that has loose hours, you'll be more productive at eight 30. Um, that's what Arnold Schwarzenegger says is for those people that say, um, you know, they don't have enough time to work out, sleep faster. Like there's 24 hours in the day. It's the ultimate equalizer. Um, and quite honestly, if you're going to work only, uh, if you're, if you're going to go to bed at 10:30 and you're going to wake up at eight, I know I've got you beat already just because those extra five hours are hours where I'm working and you're sleeping. So right away, it's like, a, it's like a track race. If you give me a 15 yard head start, you're going to feel more confident and my probability of winning increases. Right? So it's, it's no different. The platform changes, but the, um, mentality remains the same. 
Yeah, and just to throw it in there, I'm a big quote guy. I got, like, I got lists Books on my them. phone. <laughs> like, oh man, that's a great quote. I'm writing that down, and I always, always spit them out later. And that's know. something too. Uh, like even going back, my mom used to it used to drive her crazy because she'd go and. Um, I was a spoiled kid, so she'd clean my room here and there, and she'd be looking, uh, lifting up posters, and I've written on permanent marker on the painted wall back there, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, and even if you go into my house now, like anywhere in the unfinished basement, it's just littered, I read something or I see something, well, I don't want to forget it, so I'll just write it on the wall down there, right, but just, it's like those guys that you see their morning mirror, and it's just covered with their goals and kind of quotes, things that inspire you, find a way to be inspired, there's way too many different successful stories out there of both people that um, came from nothing and came from everything, but were able to chase down their dreams. There's really no excuses today where information is so readily available that you can't find some inspiration or find a guy that's done what you want to do before. So, um, and again, I know I'm getting off topic here, but one thing that football taught me as well, and again, that I've taken into my second career here, is uh, football, we'd always say it's a copycat league, right? So if we're playing, if the Montreal Alouettes play, uh, you know, the Calgary Stampeders on Monday and they're successful running out routes, well, you prepare to dominate out routes and then you have your contingency plan if they've made their correct adjustments to create in routes that, um, you know, that, that that's the wrinkle in the game plan, right? So, or, or for that matter, um, you know, you're, I, as a football guy, you're constantly watching three, four hours of film a day and I'm just watching receivers that have some of the skill sets that I have so that I know it's uh, replicable. I'm watching what they do. I'm stealing their patterns and then I'm making it my own. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel, particularly in a day and age where everything's online now, right? Everybody wants to be a YouTube star and everybody wants to learn from YouTube. That's great. Go out there, watch it. Um, but, uh, and again, if I may, I think what on, on, on social media, what is lost is it's so easy to see now the product that we've lost track of the process, right? Like even the workouts that you see online, it's like, oh, he ran a 40 today of 4.3. Okay, but did you show the six years of buildup? Where did he start? Where is that foundation laid? And I think that's probably why a lot of young kids get discouraged now is they just want to be the highlight reel, even though they don't understand that it's the grind, it's the sweat, it's the blood, it's the time that you put in that created that three-second clip. The three-second clip is not possible without the years of preparation, right? So um, I think all the tools and all the resources are available for uh, this next generation. They just have to be cautious that they don't lose sight of the process required in an attempt to directly jump to the results. No, 100%. Because if you think about, like, it's the the peaks and the valleys, right? And how much time do you actually spend on the, at the peak, when you're going for like a mountain hike it's like very little it's like going up and down it's dealing with the adversity because the adversity creates the character conflict creates character and at the end of the day if if like i always think you 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 learn through your failures and if you just keep building off that and like when you get knocked down you get back up and like take going back to COVID, there we use that as an opportunity okay how can we make things better okay um you dealt with a knee injury and you went came back a little too fast. Okay, what can I do better this time? Or I'm going to find the hardest guy, like the hardest working guy in the gym. I'm going to chase him down. Like you can't expect to be number one right from the beginning. And I do think that they see that on on, um, social media all the time. All the time. And sorry to interrupt you too. Not only that, uh, you brought up the knee injury, you brought up COVID. And what I really admired about your business plan on, on when we brought up COVID, it wasn't just, okay, how do we retain some of our membership today by creating a service that is kind of supplementary? You created something that now you're still doing those run workouts. So you found an opportunity where the business probably overall took a step back in terms of the revenue generated. But in the long term, you've now created different options, different programs that are only going to benefit and help the growth of this industry. And the same can be said about my knees. One thing, when I tore my knee, I realized, okay, there's going to be three months here that I'm not going to be able to sprint and run. So while in my mind, while logically you're like, okay, I got to recover this knee, all my attention's going to this knee, I consciously made an effort to double the amount of film that I was watching because I thought, if I'm all done this and my four five turns to a four five five, doesn't sound like a lot, but we're talking about two yards difference. It, it is a lot right? I need mentally to speed up my processing skills so that the game slows down. So if my legs slow, but I'm processing information quicker, I could be a better player. Slightly different, but better, right? So anytime you have a setback, it's a great opportunity to reflect on the entirety of what you offer as a human being, or whether that's an athlete or in whatever industry. 
and never stop the constant drive for self-improvement. Um, you know, I think in one of the very first podcasts you mentioned, um, you know, uh, um, I can't remember your exact quote, but you were basically, uh, I think more or less, that's what it was, right? Is, is you're constantly trying to grow and improve as a person. And I feel like even at the youngest athlete's age, it's always what's one thing, what's one thing today that I can improve on so that tomorrow I have that skill set in my back pocket. And ultimately in life, um, I, I, I'm all about uh, symbolism, I guess, but, um, you know, I'm constantly trying to put more tools in my tool bag. And that's what I tell myself is, okay, you're great swinging a hammer. That's just brute force and effort. What about getting out the finer tools, the, the wrenches and the, you know, what, whatever, whatever, um, parallel you want to draw there, but how am I going to improve just kind of that diversity of skill sets that I have? Um, so there's always room for growth, never get satisfied. And I feel like if you do that, um, one, you stay young, you feel mentally young, and you, you'll feel better about it, but um, you just continue to improve as a person and, and offer more to those around you. Yeah, um, if you're always, like I always find you have to be chasing something, whether it's a goal, whether it's, um, like, say from a business standpoint, I'm always looking, okay, how can we make things a little better in here? What's a better experience? Okay, here's some online courses that I'm going to improve my knowledge when it comes to training. Um, and then, like, then there's my own goals of, like, hey, I want to get stronger. I want to get fitter. I find that if people are constantly chasing something like that, they're hungry. Mm-hmm. And they're just not going to be like, uh, I just don't feel like it. Like, and then you start to create those habits. Because when you mentioned earlier, like, you have to create habits, like making your bed in the morning, habits for success. Um, I do find that, like, there's going to be days that you just don't feel like doing anything. Because I'm sure there's times where you get up at 5 a.m., you're like, fuck, man, I feel like trash right now, super stressed, but nope, got to put 60 minutes into training. But it's part of those habits. And you start creating those habits and just start to carry over everywhere else. Because then you just trained, you push yourself. Hopefully that's the hardest part of your day. Um, grinding out in your basement there. Then you start making the phone calls for the real estate. You start doing the research, the search. And then all that just carries over on top. And then if you're working hard in that, then you, um, when you spend time with your kids and all that, you feel even more rewarded. You're more focused on hanging out with them. So you're more mindful of the current situation with your kids. And you're not like, oh, man, I totally forgot to send that email. No, you bust your ass for like 10 hours prior. So you don't need to go back and send that email. And I think it just starts creating a whole positive mindset for the person. Hundred percent, and and I know we may have a few younger audiences that are below the age of nineteen, but like, I don't know if any for anybody that's ever like worked with their hands for a day and then enjoyed a beer afterward, right? Like for those guys that have kind of no structure and perhaps are cash lush, you drink beers all day. All of a sudden, the luxury of a beer doesn't sound all that appealing because you feel like a bag of crap, and and you know there's kind of the appeal to the beer is gone. But when you grind hard all day long, you know you took care of business and you did what you have to do that beer at dinner tastes 10 times better. And even though, um, you know, it's a small reward, like reward yourself, understand that you did grind, you did do the work. So don't be afraid to, um, like when I was playing football, I didn't really drink too much alcohol, but I definitely have a sweet tooth. So, you know, I didn't worry that I crushed a bag of, um, you know, Mike and Ike's at night or whatever, because I knew ultimately I'm putting in the work and sure you, you could optimize your level by having the cleanest diet out there. But, um, you know, life is all about kind of having, uh, just having rewards, having rewards, having slip ups. The journey has to be worth the process at the same time. Like you can be a militant as possible. You'll probably burn out early if you don't have either just something to look forward to. Right. So, um, by no means do uh, I enjoy going to the gym, but I also in the back of my head, there's a little guy saying there, Hey man, you go put in your 60 hours or 60 minutes of sweat today. You don't have to feel bad when you're out on the golf course having a beer. Right. So, um, you know, life is all about balance. And I think the more you put in, the more you're going to get out. Yeah. And just a quick note for the ones who are under 19, we say you're in your ice cream sandwiches. That's right. Ice cream sandwiches. We did go over that. I think it's a great, a great, uh, parallel. Yeah. Um, let's, after we're just talking all with football there, let's jump into the family. Cause you're a hard family man, right? And you do see that in like a lot of professional athletes. All they want to do is work hard and then go spend time with their family. Now, how was living like essentially Kelly was here with the kids right in Kingston and then you'll be out in Saskatchewan traveling the country how was that dealing with all that like would she ever fly out there for a week or 
Yeah, so we um, we were pretty lucky. So we had a house out in Saskatchewan, and we had a house here. So Kelly and the kids would come out uh, typically right after training camp, so um, the 1st of June, and then they would stay until October. So they were out there for, you know, two a third to two-thirds of the season, um, and that was amazing. But, uh, you know, I went into the stadium at 6 a.m. every morning, and I didn't get back till about 4 o'clock. And by the time you get four, back at 4, um, you're usually pretty exhausted. So, you know... You spend some time with the family, you have a quick nap, you make dinner. At the time, my kids were under seven, so, you know, they're in bed by eight o'clock. You're not getting to spend a whole bunch of quality time with them. Um, so there's sacrifices, uh, like anything, um, when you're kind of pursuing something specifically, if it's kind of the top 1% where you're dealing with, and, and as you get older, um, you know, the club doesn't really care that you're a family man now. There, There's also a plethora of 23-year-olds that have no commitment and will stay from 6 till 10 if they ask them to, right? So it, it, you can't really, um, you can't be really out there looking for sympathy because you have outside commitments either. Um, but it definitely creates an appreciation. I know uh, it, makes, it definitely makes me feel old, but um, I can't believe how quickly my children have grown up. Um, but it, it makes you appreciate it all the more. When I came back for the winter, I always volunteered. I'd make sure that I was coaching their hockey or helping with their skating. Um, and in the off scene, the great part about football is you're kind of training for three and a half hours of the day in a facility. And then I'd watch some film sporadically throughout the day. But there's lots of downtime in the off season. So you got four, four, four or five months. And the way I at least um, processed it psychologically was I may not have the same amount of time with my kids on a daily basis, but over the course of a calendar year, I feel like I put in just as much, if, or I was able to enjoy just as much, if not more quality time with my kids than the guy that does go to the nine to five. So, um, you know, I think that's, uh, just creating habits and lifestyles that aren't really dependent on the calendar year at all. Uh, I constantly, clients probably think I'm uh, a dummy for it, but like I rarely know if it's Monday or Thursday. I, I just know, I, I know it's, it's, it's a new day. I know that if I have, I have my calendar in front of me and I know that there's work to be done today. If it's Saturday and it's all open, I don't say it's the weekend. It's, this is my day. Let's go do something. If it's Tuesday and I got nothing booked, this is a day. Let's go do something. Right. So that, that kind of flexibility and football certainly helps with that because your weekends are non-existent. You're always playing on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, so, you know, Monday or Tuesday, they're just as good as days as any other to go out and enjoy beaches and golf courses and everything else that life has to offer, right? So, Well, usually on Mondays, it's a little bit quieter. It's actually, it was great. We used to go out on Mondays for golf all the time out west, and, yeah, we'd play, like, well, until it was dark, more or less, and the course was wide open, right? So... That's a very specific example, but I just think um, there's sacrifices to be made, but if you look at it through the appropriate lens, you appreciate what you're getting to do, and you find ways to recapture that time, even if it's not a more traditional schedule, but you find ways to make time for those that are important around you. Now, I assume that you're playing lots of sports with your kids now, Um, teaching them young? Yeah, teaching them young. Um, I know especially it's funny because sports have obviously given me so much in my life and I think I've learned a lot of valuable lessons through them which is why I'm putting my kids in sport but I'm also uh I I I certainly made my way through school um but I think had I been born into a family that maybe didn't have two parents that were you know my mom's a university graduate my dad's a doctor two very smart individuals that understood the importance of academics I probably, had I stayed on my hockey path, there's no way I was getting into a university. Football was a great ticket because if you want to play at the second next level, you have to have decent grades to get into school. Um, it made me focus on academics in grade 11 and 12. So um, I remember thinking as Kelly was pregnant the first time, I just want smart kids. Um, and I've been blessed. Uh, all three of my kids, you know, they've probably read more books already than I do. So um, I'm really excited and happy to see that. I think, I think what you get out of ac- uh, athletics that you don't necessarily get in academics is the ability to work with others, the ability to, um, the ability to overcome, as we, as we had mentioned, the, the, just the small things like losing an individual game or overcoming an injury. These are life skills that, while you learn them in sport, apply to everything, as we discussed, right? So, um, and, and particularly meeting different people and understanding that while you don't have to like somebody, you have to respect them. Um, you know, still got to be able to work with them. You got to be able to work one with them, thing right? I've noticed people who play a lot of team sports, they work really well in teams, right? And they understand like there's certain roles that other people will take. So, yeah, here's your role, Rob. You're going to take care of this stuff. Um, Jimmy over there, you're going to start taking care of this, and you just got to trust your teammates. And you do see that with a 
lot of kids who play sports. Like there's able to, the social interaction, and even though like they might not get along, like you just mentioned, but you still have to learn how to get the product out there. Right? You're you're bang on, and that's a skill that I think uh, not enough people have as they move into their professional careers either. Is you know everybody wants to be the CEO, everybody wants to be the quarterback. Um, but at the end of the day, there's 99 other positions or nine, like 100, millions of other possibilities that still make you an integral part of the industry, the unit, the team, whatever you want to call it, but that aren't as glamorous. And, um, you know, hockey or any of those other jobs, those guys on the fourth line, they're just as important as the guys on the first, depending on the scenario. Well, think right? about so, the offensive linemen, right, in football. 100%. Like, they unsung don't get heroes. a lot of the light, but the, that's – probably one of the hardest positions in sports right there's not one there's not one play in football where i caught a yard had the crowd on their feet um and cheering for me that didn't start with the offensive line and had they not done their job i didn't get to do mine right so uh, to your point it's just and it's a great example of how teamwork um is what creates collective success but also that not every job is going to be glory. Sometimes you got to get in the hole and dig, right? So um, I think those are those are really what I think sport is so great about doing is just is just helping people understand and recognize and learn that um, you know every role is important, even if it's not quite as glamorous, and that collectively the, the things you can accomplish are far greater than anything you can do on your own. Now, what sports do you have your kids playing right now? Um, my boys are playing hockey. My daughter's figure skating, ballet. In the summer, my, the twins are playing baseball. Uh, Leo's playing soccer. They did the opposites the year before. So, really, I'm just trying to get their foot in every – and my son also, uh, both boys that did gymnastics. Um, my strength coach out west was like, that's the best thing for young kids in terms of athlete development. Oh, so gymnastics, like I think gymnastics and swimming in the very beginning, yep. just creating that body yep. awareness, um, even dance in there. So, they have – they can move their feet, right? Totally. Because I'm definitely not a dancer. I can't move my feet well. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, no, my kids are kind of trying to do a little bit of everything. Um, my oldest is now kind of getting the itch to try rep hockey. I'm still a little bit on the fence of it. How old? Um, he's nine, so he'll be 10 next year. I understand he's at that kind of critical point, especially with hockey, because, um, you know, it's reps and touches, right? How many times are you on the week, uh, ice every week? Um, I'm just a little bit reluctant because, well, I'm a stats guy. I like analytics. Um, the probability of you going to the NHL, well, I want you to dream about it. Um, I'm certainly one that chased their dream. But I think you also have to recognize that the vast majority of guys don't make a living playing that game. And to give up more or less all your free time um, and eliminate all the other opportunities and great sports and experiences that you can have if you don't play hockey or at the AAA level anyways, um, it's a bit of a coin toss for me. So it's going to be his decision to make. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm still a little bit on the fence on it. Do you find that kids specialize too early in sports? I think they do. Um, you know, there's, there's – Because I will say, like, sorry to cut you off, but, no. like, you you didn't start playing football until the age of 16. That, that's why I wanted you to tell that story. You were doing track. Um, yeah, and then and you're doing I was doing hockey. track, and, and, yeah, when I started playing football at 17 – I still think to this day I don't jump well because in hockey there's no there's no jumping and I never really did any I didn't play basketball I played you know maybe a little bit of volleyball at Wellborn but um you know if you don't use those skills you don't develop those muscles those motor patterns um so I just don't see how I just don't see how a guy won't be um especially with a lot of these sports that are transferable like hockey's very sport specific but um, anything where you're running on the feet, whether it's field hockey, rugby, um, lacrosse, basketball, there's crossover in all these sports, all of them. right? Because, so, well, if you think it, like, football does a really good job of taking genetic freaks from other sports who didn't make it and putting them in that sport just because football, like, hey, let's find this guy. He played basketball. He's, like, six foot eight, wingspan of this. How fast can he run? Okay, let's put him on the wide receiving position there. 100%. So all he has to run straight, we'll just toss him the ball, right? Yeah, 100%, right? So... I think the better athlete you can be, and and not only that, but just developing, again, because the probability of you deciding, let alone making that uh, a professional um, income based on athletics, um, I think you just want to be as well-rounded as possible, develop the habits that we kind of spoke about with regards to work ethic and determination, and, and allow those to transfer in whatever catches your passion by the time you're 20. Because for most people... Um, you know, if you ask me at 11 years old, what were you going to do? I'm playing in the NHL. 
this is what I'm going to do. Well, obviously that didn't work out, but if that's the only vision you have and you get there and you're 20 years old and it hasn't come to fruition and those doors have closed, how, how are you going to pick yourself back up and where are you going to go from there? Right. So, yeah. And the saying is it's easier to teach an athlete how to play a sport than a sport specific athlete to become an athlete. Right. Yep. Yep. I don't disagree with that at all. So, um, you know, we're kind of on the same page just in terms of well-roundedness. Um, you know, even for that matter, I want, I want my, I want my kids specifically, but when I'm coaching, you know, at baseball the other day, I want them to understand that, that it's about, um, encouraging others. It's about pushing others and asking a lot of them, but being there to support them, whether they are able to successfully accomplish it or not. If you go out there and, and I say it, um, probably redundantly to my kids, they probably stop listening to me, but if you try your hardest, I, I'm never going to have a qualm with the result ever. But there's a difference between thinking you tried your hardest and, and actually, you know, putting it out there the entire game. So the closer and the harder that I can push them just to give me 100% effort and stay in tune, they're too young, but, it, but just trying to develop those building blocks now, um, that's really what I want them to learn. I want them to learn that anything's possible with the amount of the right amount of attention and work. And, and if I can teach them that, then it doesn't really matter what platform they take it to. Uh, I'll, feel, I'll sleep well at night knowing my kids are prepared. That's amazing. I love that. Rob, this was awesome, man. Um, We'll close it out there. You got any big plans for the rest of the day here? I got a little bit of work, thankfully. I'm going to run around, show a few houses, and see if I can't continue to grow a a little bit of a social network back here in town and then just enjoy this beautiful day in this beautiful city. So if anybody is looking to sell their house, how can they find you? Well, you can find me. We've got a number of signs around town, Giffen Peachy Bag Real Estate Team. Um, I'm over at Royal LePage and, uh, yeah, if you, you're thinking about buying or selling, I would definitely like to uh, assist in the process. And my number is 613-532-2441, open 24-7. Yeah, nice little plug-in. Awesome, Rob. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Bob.